got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is uh, where we're going to be today. We are continuing our series entitled, He Is, um, walking through the Gospel of John and looking at uh, uh, Jesus Christ, who He really uh, is. Um, we'll go throughout this series um, uh, walking through the different I Am statements, the seven I Am statements that speak to uh, who He is, the fact that He is God, right? By the way, let me just remind you, right? Jesus Christ is fully God, 100% God and 100% man, right? All at the same time He was. You say, how is that possible? Good question, right? Uh, man, that's, that's man of Him. Uh, it's of Him. Uh, but He came, uh, uh, the Word of God, as John 1 says, came to dwell among us, right? And He lived on this earth, uh, died on an old rugged cross uh, without sin, did not sin. Uh, died on an old rugged cross for us, right? But He didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day and is alive and well today. And so, man, we rejoice. And that's why we sing songs of praise to Him, right? Because He is alive uh, and well. Uh, last week we looked at uh, the Gospel message, Jesus' encounter with the uh, uh, religious man named Nicodemus, the religious elite, right? He was perhaps the, you know, most elite. He was the teacher of uh, a group known as the Sanhedrin, the 70, right, of the most religious folks in uh, the Jewish world of that day. Uh, we took a look at uh, his encounter there. And, and then today, uh, in John chapter 4, we're taking a look at uh, someone that Jesus encounters from literally the other side of the spectrum, uh, right? We, he encounters this uh, Samaritan Woman, which is uh, awesome because it speaks to uh, the nature and the character of Jesus, really the, the theme of this whole book, this reality that Jesus died for all. He didn't just die for the religious. He didn't just die for the good person. He died for all so that anyone who chooses to trust in him right, uh, will be saved. And we see his encounter here with uh, this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And so uh, we're going to start in verse 7 of John chapter 4, just catching you up to speed. Um, and John 3, right after John 3, in, in verse 22, uh, through really the end of the chapter, we see uh, uh, John the Baptist exalt the Christ, right? John the Baptist was proclaiming that this Jesus was coming, and he had an opportunity to uh, step up and, and get a little bit of his own glory, if you will. Some of his disciples were saying, hey, that Jesus that you're talking about, man, hey, he's baptizing more people than you. He's getting more popular than you. And John the Baptist says, hey, look, here's the truth. That's what it's about. It's, a, it's all about him. It's not about me. I must decrease so that he can increase. He says that in verse 30 of John chapter 3. And then we see Jesus here leave the area that he was at and go to uh, Galilee, make it way to Galilee. But he decides to go through a town called Samaria uh, intentionally uh, to meet and connect with this woman. And so starting in verse 7 of John chapter 4, if you're there, let me know that you're there by saying there. If you don't have a word with you, it's all good. The verses will be on the screen. You can follow along there, but we will read uh, uh, the majority of uh, the chapter here speaking to the story. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water where Jesus was sitting there. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We'll talk about that here in a second. Jesus answered her saying, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, okay, go and call your husband and tell him to come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one dared ask him, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out from the town and were coming to him. When we skip on down to verse 39 uh, through 42, look what it says. It says this, many Samaritans in the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman is it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. I've entitled the message today simply this Jesus at the well. Hey, Jesus intentionally goes down this path to meet this woman who is broken up, beat up, far away from God. And we see that his encounter with her changes everything. Her life is totally different as a result. And Jesus at the well. Why don't we pray one more time together? God, we I do love you. We thank you for meeting us uh, at our lowest, Lord. God, and changing our life. Lord, I pray as we walk through this familiar passage to many in this room, I pray that, God, you would speak to us, Lord. I'd give us fresh truth from your word, Lord, pertaining to this passage and how how we can apply it to our lives, Lord. 
And God, we really do ask, Lord, that we would be folks that leave here different than the way we came, God. Because we met with you. God, we love you. We thank you. And we ask these things all in your gracious and heavenly name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Jesus at the well. Jesus at the well. Give you some background here, right? It talks about it here in the passage. Uh, uh, Jesus and this encounter with Samaritan woman is unique of its kind, right? Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. They did not conversate. Matter of fact, a lot of ancient traditions say that uh, Jews looked down and were so disparaging towards Samaritans that even if they chose to touch one of the dishes that a Samaritan previously touched, they would be ruled unclean. See, the Jews, man, they, they turned their nose to the Samaritan people because they were half-breeds. They were mixed people. Right back in the 8th century B.C., what took place was that the, uh, Israel was, uh, was overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. Right. And so folks that that were uh, taken uh, there, right, were held as captives. They decided to intermarry. And what came with intermarriage was uh, uh, um, syncretism or or the blending of different religions. So uh, these Samaritan people, they worshiped Yahweh God, but also they worshiped other gods. And so the Jewish people, man, they looked down on them, called them dogs and other derogatory names, man. Yet Jesus, right, he decides to have an encounter with this woman, and this encounter changes her life. And she leaves differently from uh, this well than when she came. Hey, that's what Jesus does, man. He's still in, hey, he's still in the life-changing business. He still is. The Jesus that we serve is not dead. Hey, the Jesus that we serve is not, man, he, he's not uh, uh, distant from us. He's near. And he's willing to meet us where we are, man, and change a lot, no matter how far gone you feel like you feel. And we see that take place here in this story. This story is one that is, man, quite powerful, if you're unfamiliar with it. But this morning, I want to highlight three realities. Three realities about this King Jesus that we follow and worship, that we see here in this passage. Three realities that we see here about King Jesus. The first reality is... This, hey, this King Jesus, right, he provides living water. He provides living water. And Jesus, the great provider, right, of all, man, he in this interaction with this woman provides uh, living water, a source of water that's different than what this uh, lady that was there was looking for, right, but was what she needed. Jesus is the great provider of living water. You may say, Pastor Irv, what, what is that mean? What what is Jesus talking about there whenever he speaks to man, that being living water? Well, I'm glad you asked. Right? What living water represents, first and foremost, we see it here in the text, is a gift of God. This living water here represents a gift from God. That's what Jesus says here. If you only knew the gift of God that's being offered to you, as well as who you're talking to, you would ask him and he will give you living water. I love what one commentary says whenever it speaks to this gift of living water. What it says here, it says the gift of God that Jesus gives is living water. And this was the topic of the conversation. That word gift, dorea in the original language, is found only here in the Gospels. But it's also seen four times in the book of Acts. And every time in the book of Acts, it is in reference to the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, Acts 8.20, Acts 10.45, and Acts 11.17. In the Old Testament, man, God was the source of living water. He himself. Source of living water. 
And so what is Jesus saying here whenever he's offering up living water? I'll go ahead and tell you. Hey, the gift of God that he's talking about is himself. It's himself. Jesus is offering himself to us. He offered himself to this woman here. Right in the context of Acts, whenever he ascends into heaven, right, he offers it, hey, himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Right, the gift of God, the greatest gift, greatest gift. Jesus provides a kind of water no one or nothing else can provide, his spirit. What a gift, man, a magnificent gift, a gift that we ought to treasure, the fact that the God of the universe dwells in our heart if we know him. What a gift. But, but I think a lot of times, Pastor Greg, right, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we don't treasure it as much. We see it as uh, uh, not uh, the greatest gift ever, but more like a gift that we won at a white elephant Christmas party. You know what I'm talking about? A gift that we got, for you know, at a secret Santa during a Christmas event. You know, you, you've, you've done plenty of those, right? Those gifts, you know, usually it's $10 maximum, you know. And a lot of times, maybe, you know, if you're like me, I end up obviously picking the, the worst gift out of the ones that are there. Usually get a pack of socks or something. One year we did a staff Christmas party, right? And I got a, you know, a couple of rolls of toilet paper, I think, you know, one time. Matter of fact, I think it, wasn't it y'all, Pastor Greg? I think y'all provided maybe so. Yeah. It, sorry, I didn't mean to put y'all on blast. I, mean, I think it was them. But, uh, my bad. But, uh, roll tide. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I got some tide. Yeah, some tide detergent. Actually it was helpful, man, because this economy is crazy. But anyway. Anyways, right? White elephant, right? You know, uh, Christmas gifts. That's that's how we we oftentimes, right, see this gift of spirit. One that we don't really treasure. Something that, man, we get, and then we just simply choose to put away and stash away, right, and don't ever use again. But the reality is, hey, the the gift of God that we've received in him, right, himself, doing in us, man, we ought to treasure that gift. Man, the fact that he is always with us. Gave us the greatest gift, man, that being himself. Can I remind you real quick about, hey, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is? Who the Holy Spirit is? Right, this Holy Spirit, right, God, right, third person of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit, right, leads us as we walk through life in him. Leads us. The Holy Spirit of God, hey, guides us, gives us direction. A lot of us, the reason why we're struggling in the Christian faith is because we're trying to figure it out on our own. Walk on our own. Not following the Spirit's guidance and direction. Hey, the Lord, he, he speaks to us. Did you know that? Speaks to us, yes, through his word, but also, man, as we spend time in his word and in prayer, man, he gives us direction through his spirit. On where to go. Spirit guides us. Hey, the spirit, hey, comforts us. Comforts us. Lowest moments of our life. Hey, the spirit, hey, walks alongside us, known in John, right, as the paraclete, the one who literally walks alongside us as we go through life. At the end of the day, the Spirit makes the difference, man. The greatest gift. Jesus here is offering this woman, right, himself. And by the way, hey, if you're in here and don't know him, hey, he's offering himself to you today. And the gift of God, right, that's what living water is. But, but secondly, we see Jesus described in verses 13 through 14, right, as not just a gift from God, but also satisfaction for the thirsty soul. Talks about that here. The woman says, hey, talking about getting water. I mean, you don't have nothing to draw water from. She's just focusing on the the physical, if you will. And Jesus had to get her right and shift it to the spiritual. No, 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 you're you're missing it. You're missing it. 
Right? Hey, if you drink from this water, the water that's of the well there, hey, the, hey in, in her context, the well of men, the, hey, the well of uh, insecurity, the well of trying to fit in. Hey, if you drink from that well, then you're going to thirst again. But I've got a water that you can drink of, man, that'll forever satisfy you. And that's myself. Hey, Jesus is the satisfaction for the thirsty soul. I love what Warren Wiersbe says pertaining to this. He says, whosoever continues to drink this material water or anything the world has to offer will thirst again. But whoever takes one drink of the water that Jesus gives will never grow thirsty. It just speaks to this reality that, hey, the world and what it offers can never satisfy. Hey, can, can I be honest with you? Hey, even if it's good stuff. Hey, folks in here who have a family. Man, hey, family is a gift from God, a blessing from him. But if you're staking your hope on your family, hey, you're going to leave empty. If you're worshiping your family, you're going to leave empty. Hey, if, if, if you're choosing to worship, hey, your, your uh, business or your occupation. If you're finding your identity in that, man, hey, that's great and good. You're working hard, man, advancing in in your career. But at the end of the day, it's not going to satisfy you. If you're chasing stuff, man, under the sun, at the end of the day, it's going to leave you empty. Say, Pastor, how do you know, man? Hey, I can attest to it. You could probably attest to it before coming to faith. But the guy that had it all, man, the guy named King Solomon, hey, he could attest to it. And he spoke to how, man, I chased all this stuff. Riches, fame, women. But it just left me in the end. I just, hey, he, this is what he said. He, he says, I, I discovered it was just like chasing the wind at the end of the day. That's because, hey, only one can satisfy. His name is Jesus. Psalm 63, verse 3 through 4, right? It speaks to the Lord and his love for us. The psalmist says it like this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And then Psalm 107, 9, right? The psalmist says it like this. For he, talking about the Lord, satisfies the thirsty soul and fills the hungry with good things. Some, hey, some of you guys, man, are, are here. I'm glad that you're here, but you're chasing stuff under the sun and you're finding yourself dry and empty. Hey, can I just be honest with you? Some of you in here are saved. Know the Lord, but you're running, hey, to broken cisterns, running back to those cisterns, man, that you were drinking of before you came to the Lord. Man, if that's you, hey, choose to take a drink from, man, the well that never runs dry. And, hey, choose to run to him. Choose to run to him. We see, right, that Jesus, man, he provides living water. I'm thankful for that. What a blessing it is to be able to say that, hey, We can walk, right, in satisfaction today. We can walk, man, being satisfied. Whatever comes our way, whatever we don't have, whatever we may not get in this life, we can say it as well because we know Christ. He's enough. What a blessing it is to be able to be at that place. And so choose, man, to take a drink of that living water. That's the first point, first reality of Jesus. He provides living water. Second. Reality that we see Jesus take place here, and what he shares is this. Jesus, right, not only provides living water, but he preaches about, right, legit worship. He goes into a little discourse here about what worship's all about here. After the woman says, hey, I, I you know, need you to provide some living water, 
uh, provide this living water for me, Jesus. You, you know what Jesus says? He says, hey go, hey, go ahead and get your husband. Now, Jesus is the son of God. He knows it all. Right? He knew that this woman wasn't married. She'd been married several other times. But let me go ahead and throw this in free charge. The reason why he, hey, he decided to bring that up is because if she wanted the living water, she had to come to the reality of her need for it. She had to see, man, that she was broken up. And, and that's the process for us in coming to faith. We've got to see our need for the Savior before we choose to turn to Him. And so we see that Jesus brings that up. She shares the reality of where she's at. And then she quickly tries to shift it and turn it to uh, a religious conversation. So easy to do that, right? There have been times in my life where I did that. Whenever I'm in sin, I'll just simply turn it, Sister Arlene, to a religious conversation. Well, you know, I'm a preacher. You know, man, I've preached some. And, oh, I've read my Bible every now and again. Instead of addressing what's really going on. And so Jesus runs with that. And in his dialogue with this woman, she, he shares about the reality of what worship truly is about. What does he say about it based on what we see here? Man, he says, first and foremost, that worship is not simply about a place, but about a person. It's not just simply about a place, but it's about a person. Go, go back to the text. Make sure you know I'm not making it up here. Says our The woman says in verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is saying here is this, hey... Samaritan woman, hey, it's not about you, you know, you guys worshiping at Mount Gerizim or, or us worshiping simply in Jerusalem. It's not just about that. It's about who you're worshiping. It's about the object of your worship. Who is it that you're choosing to worship? All, he, Jesus shares the truth that authentic worship is about a person, not necessarily about a place. And so for us, we've got to choose to understand that reality. I, I know a lot of folks, Brother Ben, that, that use that thought of it not being about a place as an excuse. Say, you know what? Hey, I can worship God on the boat on Sunday. You ever heard that before? Hey, I, hey, I can worship God at the Nashville SC, you know, soccer game or at the Titans game, which, hey, they need a lot of prayers, don't they, Brother Roth? Both. I, hey, I can worship God there. No, 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 I, I, don't, don't hear me. I'm not dismissing the reality of us coming together and worshiping as a corporate body on Sunday morning. Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the gathering or the assembly of people. But hey, but what I am saying is this. Our worship ought to not be relegated to just one Sunday morning experience a week. Hello, it ought not be relegated to just one Sunday morning experience a week. Man, our worship, man, ought to be Every day because of the object of our worship. Our worship ought to be all the time. Hey, our worship ought to be not just with our lips, but with our life. Hey, our worship hey, ought to be expressed not just in the church house, but at our own house. With our family, the way that we treat our family. Man, our worship ought to be all the time. In the workplace, at the schoolhouse, by how we conduct ourselves, man. It's not about a place. But a person. Hey, the Israelites, right, all throughout the Old Testament, man, they got worship wrong because they mixed it up too. Man, they made it simply about a place or, or them as a people, right, being good with God. And the reality is they, they were worshiping the wrong person, right? Their allegiance was divided. We see that all throughout, them wrestling with that, worshiping these false gods, these idols that were made by human hands. They'd gotten it wrong. 
Church, don't, don't get it confused. You, hey, you could be in the house of the Lord right in the right place, but worshiping the wrong person and get worship wrong. It's about the object of our worship. It's about him. It's about him. Psalm 145, 1 through 3. Says it like this, I will extol or bless you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Now worship is not necessarily about a place, but it's about a person. But also what Jesus says about worship is this. Hey, it's not about a performance. Right, but about a posture, about a right posture. Jesus says, hey, one day we're going to worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. I mean, a lot of folks, right, that, uh, you know, uh, have their idea of what uh, right worship is about, how you ought to uh, worship. Some folks that, you know, may come from a more charismatic background, may get to hand clapping and foot, foot stomping, raise their hands every now and again. And that might spook out the person on the other side that's more, you know, uh, solemn in their worship, right? And there's folks that think that, hey, oh, th- hey, this, this particular way we do it is the right way. It's the only way. Well, can, can I be honest with you? Hey, it's, it's not about a performance at the end of the day. It's about where your heart is. Heart posture. Hey, I've seen folks, man, that jumping up and down, spinning around, getting excited in worship, but man, their heart isn't in the right place. I've seen a person broken up, man, sitting in the seat there, man, crying out to the Lord, not even able to utter a word at times, man. But them have the right posture. Man, it's about a heart posture at the end of the day. Remember that story that, that Jesus shares about the Pharisee and the tax collector? Right, the Pharisee man goes before the Lord and he has this big elaborate prayer. Oh, hey, thank you, Lord, man. I'm not like that sinner there. Right, I'm thankful. Not like that person. And then the tax collector, he gets there and he can't even raise his head up to heaven. He says, Lord, I'm I'm messed up, broken up. And you know what Jesus said? He said it was that person, the tax collector, that went went away justified. Hey, because his heart was in the right place. Hey, friends, true worship is not about a performance, man. It's about where your heart is. Man, your heart, it's about a right posture towards him. And that posture is that of surrender. That of surrender, not about a performance. Here's some verses to back up that claim. 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, a story of King Saul, right, to, Lord tells Saul, hey, wipe out all of the Amalekites. Saul says, all right, bet, I can do that. He didn't do that. He kept the king. He killed, you know, majority of the folks, but kept the king and kept all the livestock. Right, and Samuel confronts him. And Saul said, hey, hey, I was going to sacrifice these sheep that I got as an offering to the Lord, man. Hey, these these prime sheep, I was going to sacrifice to him. And here's what Samuel said in response. Has the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to listen or obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Ain't need one more, just, hey, just for good reference, 1 Kings 18, man, the showdown at Mount Carmel. You remember those prophets of Baal, man? Hey, they put on a show, jumping up and down, dancing, doing all kinds of wicked stuff. Man, they started cutting themselves to try and, you know, allure their God to respond. But no one answered, no one heard, no response. It's not about a performance, man. It's about a hard posture. what true worship's all about. About having the right posture. The danger comes when we have decided that there's only one certain way to worship the Lord. Or there's only certain type of songs. Now granted, hey, you know, our songs need to be lifted up, you know, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me say that. But there's a certain, hey, you know, certain style of song. And that's, uh, man, that's when the problem comes. Man. It's not about performance. It's about a heart posture. Then thirdly and lastly, here's what Jesus says, man. Third reality of this story, connection with the woman at the well here, is this. Not only does Jesus provide living water, not only does he preach about legit worship, but Jesus at the end of the day produces life change. He produces life change, man. That's what it talks about here. After the interaction there, the disciples come back in town. They're wondering why Jesus is talking to a woman, better yet a Samaritan woman. What, what's going on there? And it says that the Samaritan woman, she left her jar, right? Uh, symbolizing, man, her, her old life, her run to these old wells. And she ran into town. Man, and let everybody know that she might have met the Christ, man. Hey, true, no type of true change takes place without choosing to surrender to the Son. A lot of folks think that, hey, they can change themselves. No, no, it's, that's, that's merely reformation. What needs to take place is regeneration. That, that's true change. Heart change, a change of the heart, like we talked about last week. That's, that's, that's what true change is about. And we see that Jesus is the only one that produces that man. He changed the life of this woman. How so? How'd he change? Well, we see that, man, this woman, man, she went from being spiritually empty to becoming an evangelist. In a span of just a little bit of time. I might step on some toes here, Pastor Greg, but I'm going to say it anyway. Man, a lot of us in here have been saved a long time, man, and are less evangelistic than this woman was here. But we see that she's changed. Changed. Jesus, man, hey, when Jesus met this woman, hey, she came at the certain time of day that she came in, which was noon, which was, uh, you know, unorthodox for anybody at that time to go in the heat of the day. She was going there so that she wouldn't see anybody because she knew, I mean, because she was ashamed of how she was living. She, she came there. Jesus met her as a, a shamed woman, loosely hanging on to religion, but in reality, far from God. And when she leaves, man, she's telling everybody that this is the Christ. Her life had been changed forever. Man, she was chasing everything under the sun. But, hey, when she left, man, she was telling everybody about the S-O-N sun. Her life changed. Changed, man. She experienced the grace of God. And her life was never the same, man. Hey, aren't you glad that in the same way, man, Whenever we met Jesus, he changed our life. Different in him. 
1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says it like this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, this Samaritan woman's life was changed, but we also see in verse 40 through 42, the Samaritans in the village, man, they got saved. They got saved. It says that, hey, many came to faith because of the testimony of the woman. And then they had a conversation with Jesus, met with him, talked with him for a couple of days, and many others got saved. Man, Jesus saved them, man. They got changed. Got changed, man. Aren't you glad the gospel still has the power to save? Still has the power to save. And that power is limitless, by the way, right? The power didn't end whenever you came to faith. It still has the power to save that friend, that next-door neighbor, that family member. Hey, that person that's in prison right now, rotten in prison, hey, it still has the power to save. We see the Samaritans, hey, these dirty dogs, man, a seen in Jewish world. We see them come to faith. See them come to faith. And that's the Jesus that we follow. This Jesus, right, still has the power to save and set free. And this King Jesus still has the power to break chains and bind up wounds. This Jesus still has the power to move mountains and make a way. There seems to be no way. And this Jesus still has the power to bring the weary soul home. And we see, man, he produces life change. Life change. So what are the takeaways for us in here today as a result of this? Right, the first takeaway is this. Hey, take a drink of the living water. Maybe you're in here and, and you don't know Christ, but you're chasing everything under the sun. Hey, can I, I'm just, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm just keeping it real with you. Hey, whatever you choose to chase in this life other than Jesus, you're going to leave empty at the end of the day. Hey, the richest people on this earth, man, that die without Christ, man, hey, they lived a meaningless life, empty life, and a life forever separated from you. Drink, Take a drink of the living water. Choose to run to Jesus today. Maybe you're in here and you're saved and you're choosing, hey, to go back to these broken wells, these empty wells, man, looking for stuff under the sun to find satisfaction. Maybe you're looking to find your identity in this or looking to find your hope in that. Man, choose to run back to him. Take a drink of the living water. Secondly, hey, choose genuine worship, man. Make Jesus the object of your worship. Make him the object of your worship. Not religion. Not, hey, not doing good things for him. Not a formula. And make your worship about him. And then thirdly and lastly, hey, response for us is to choose to be a bold witness for him. Hey, there's so many people that are right under our noses by the way that they live their life, man, are crying out, please give me a drink. Give me a drink. And we've got the one that can provide the living water. 
that will make them not thirst again. And so, man, let's choose to be bold witnesses for him. Be a bold witness for him.